Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach. Have you ever wondered how well suited you are for ethical non-monogamy? Well, you can find out by taking my quiz, and you can find the quiz right on the homepage of my website, sumatisparks.com, S as in Sam, U, M as in Mary, A, T as in Tom, I, and Sparks, as in Sparks are flying. And when you request the quiz, you'll be automatically added to my mailing list, and you'll be the first to learn about my virtual events and to receive occasional helpful tidbits of advice and information on how to add more love and passion into your life. So today, I'm thrilled to have as my guest, Lauren Pearl. I mean, Pearl. She told me her name rhymes with pearls, and so then I said Pearl. <laughs> I like that. Lauren Searle. Lauren Searle. <laughs> Screwed that one up. Lauren Searle, a.k.a. the Love Angel. Um, Lauren is a tantric love and sex coach certified under Layla Martin's Vita Method, Blending her knowledge from somatic psychology and studies in both Eastern and Western Tantra, she brings a view of holism into her methodology. Lauren primarily helps men to forever heal from performance anxiety and skyrocket their sexual confidence so they can have soul-satisfying sex. Welcome to the show, Lauren. Thank you so much for having me. You're so welcome. And it's exciting that uh, I found you. I, I thought, wow, love, I want to talk to the love angel. That's such a great name. And then I found out that you and I were both on Maui. So we're both of us are yes. escaping pandemic-ridden California and having a wonderful time on Maui. So it's really, But we're on exactly. opposite sides of the island, so we're still doing this virtually. <laughs> yes. So great. So um, really want to hear about how does one become a tantric love and sex coach? <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your story, how you got there. Yeah, that's such a great question. And I think with everyone's story, it's a journey. And you kind of just follow the next step that opens up in your journey. So I've been a hands-on sensuality healer for 14 years and after kind of going as far as I could in in the way that I worked hands-on I was always asking the question how can I go deeper how can I facilitate a deeper healing for mostly the men that I was seeing as clientele and coaching kind of naturally presented itself I think I was on Layla Martin's Um, newsletter and then popped up this huge program her like 600 hour coaching program and I saw it and I was like oh my god I don't know if I could commit 600 hours to in a year to that but it looks really interesting and intriguing and I am looking for the next step in my life so first all the self-doubt comes in of why you can't do something and then it kept like kind of knocking on my consciousness 
And I was also simultaneously in a polyamorous relationship at the time. And I was in the type of polyamorous relationship that wasn't going particularly well. Um, We didn't have, like, the communication techniques that you really need. Um, We hadn't done any, like, real deep therapy to heal our core wounds. So we were kind of in this, like, trigger trauma pattern within the dynamic, and it just was really, really hard on my heart. Um, I was pretty much like brokenhearted almost every day. And I personally was looking for something to help me out of the severity and pain of that dynamic. And I didn't realize that this coaching program was going to help me heal through what eventually became the breakup from that polyamorous relationship. Uh, we pretty much broke up like the day that I started my coaching program. <laughs> so I like broke up with, you know, it was a big kind of explosive um, breakup. And then I started my first self-love meditation. That was like our homework. We had all these meditations to do each week and I could feel my power coming back into my body. I could feel my heart healing. I could feel the codependency patterns stopping, you know, like I could just feel all of this kind of magic in a way happening inside of my body that I didn't have access to before this work. And ironically, it was kind of like all the medicine that I needed to possibly survive in that dynamic, but that's not how it worked out. It was like, okay, well, I'm going to use all of these tools that I'm learning, all these somatic healing tools to heal myself from Mm -hmm. a pretty devastating breakup. That's really incredible. So I heard you say that you were kind of doing this trigger trauma pattern, and I think anybody Mm -hmm. who's been in non-monogamous relationships, especially early in in their exploration, can relate to that. <laughs> so um, can you talk a little bit about that, especially for people who are curious about open relationships and haven't tried it yet? Like what is that and how can people um, dance with that better if they, if they are to um, have that come up? Yeah. So it's kind of like you're asking what is a trauma bond in a way, because I was very bonded with my, Um, partner but he was also married Um, so him and I even if we had dated in a non-poly relationship probably would have traumatically triggered each other anyways Mm -hmm. and it's kind of just like his core wounds trigger my core wounds and then we project that on each other but we're not able to see what our core wounds are at the time because we might not have done a deep psychological dive into our subconscious yet so then it just looks like we're Mm -hmm. fighting with each other as opposed to my unmet need you know the need I'm trying to get as a child I'm trying to get met through this person and then his childhood wound of not being fully loved or seen by his mother is being projected on me and we're just doing like this wound war we're like yeah like you need to heal me and he's like no you need to heal me and it's like it doesn't work when you project (laughs) the responsibility of healing your core wound onto your partner, like they might bring it up and they might help you through it if they have the tools to like recognize what's going on in conscious communication uh, practices, but we didn't really have any of those at the time. Mm 
So it just became deeply triggering and deeply like re-wounding. And mm-hmm. so what was your second part of that question? It was like um, how to navigate. So if somebody is, is exploring open relationship and they're listening to this because they want to learn how to do it right, how, what, what advice can you give them to avoid that or to notice it sooner and be able to protect themselves or dance with it? Yeah, I think the primary thing that I didn't honor with myself was what my true needs actually are and your needs and the dynamic, like, you know, the openness of the relationship might not actually correlate or um, make you feel safe. So for me personally, like I had a need for safety that just wasn't being met over and over again. And there was just no way for me to completely feel safe in that relationship. And that doesn't mean all poly relationships. It just means that dynamic wasn't serving my need for safety. So I think just really, really being real with your own personal needs and not trying to jam the, you know, circle into a square or square into a circle. Um, And I think that's probably why people open up their relationship to begin with is they have needs that, aren't being met or they want to explore. Um, And then the other thing is just learning conscious communication practices, like taking an MVC course, like nonviolent communication, that they can actually clearly communicate what their needs are as they come up and their emotions and their feelings in a non-blaming way so that their partner can actually hear them. Because when we're in a trigger, we often say, I feel like you manipulated me. And manipulation is not actually a feeling. It's a judgment. It's, a, it's like a critical, um, you know, like making something mean something that it doesn't actually mean necessarily. So if you're, you could yeah, say, and hey. And also when, if you, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, just like saying, hey, what you did really made me upset, sad, and frustrated. As opposed to, yeah. I feel like you manipulated me. They're two very, very different things. Right. And there's a clue there when you say, I feel like. I was just telling a client that the other day. Mm. He kept saying, I feel like. And I said, take the like out and just say, I feel blank. <laughs> and that changes mm-hmm. everything when mm-hmm. you take the like out. I feel like you're an asshole. I feel like you're, yeah. you know, that's where all the, the judgment terms come in. <laughs> right. Uh, is we think that it kind of softens the blow when we say like, like I feel like you manipulated me. And it's like uh-huh. we detach sensation with like we make our sensation mean something that maybe it doesn't actually have that inherent meaning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was reading your website and you say that um, you found no, greater frontier to discovering our true self than the avenue of love and relationships. So there's this thing about relationship that touches into the deepest parts of ourselves and shines a light into those core wounds and those dark places. And I find that those of us who want to practice non-monogamy have to walk that fine line because we want to grow from these relationships. So we're willing, like we might have a higher pain tolerance than a monogamous person because we know there's going to be growing right. pains. And yet at the same time, we have to notice when it's causing trauma and when we have to say enough already. So how do we dance with mm-hmm. that fine line? 
Mm, that's such a good question, and I think it's going to be individual, <laughs> you know, like individualized. But I just think it's you really kind of have to sit with yourself in a, in a quiet space and just really look and see, you know, am I experiencing more pain than pleasure? Mm. I mean, it could be that simple. It's just, is this more drama and trauma and processing than fun and play and healing and ease and grace and maybe sexual fun and, you know, it kind of just, for me, just boils down to that. I'm like, wow, my relationship was more harmful than, you know, helpful. Yeah, and oftentimes that happens after we've gotten to a certain point in a relationship, like especially when we find those hot lovers that, you know, all the sex hormones are flying around and we're kind of like ignoring the red flags. <laughs> you know, after the, right. the chemicals wear off, then you go, okay, this sucks and the sex isn't as good anymore, so the trade-off isn't working. <laughs> yeah, definitely have that happened before. <laughs> so um, let's move on and talk about sex now because relationship, like, you know, kind of relationship's really important and it's a great tool for us to learn and grow. And it was interesting that that's kind of how you came into what you're doing now. But um, I'm really curious, and I love that you work with men because it really is, I mean, let's just talk about men and sex, you know? There's so much pressure on them to perform and so much anxiety. So, you know, I'm sure there's lots of big societal reasons, but what do you perceive as the primary reason men have performance anxiety? Mm, That's such a good question. So what I find that most coaches will say or therapists will say, there's usually a disconnection between a man's head and his heart or his mind and his ability to feel his body or sensation. But I actually feel like it goes a lot deeper than that. And there's usually an unhealed wound of inadequacy. And Mm -hmm. that comes from an imprint of neglect and trauma from childhood. And a feeling that just them as a little boy is inherently not okay. And they feel rejected or not accepted from their caregivers. And they're not even able to just express their innocence like they're already kind of ridiculed from a young age like to not cry not do this you know act a certain way but even more intricately um, most of my clients have some form of emotional surrogacy with their mother Mm. and what that means is like their father was vacant or just emotionally void from the relationship with the mother. So then the mother overly depends on usually the oldest, the firstborn son for her emotional needs to be met. Um, And this forms like a nice guy syndrome. So what Mm. this means is the, the little boy takes it on to please his mother and trade for love, acceptance, belonging, sense of home. So he learns from a really young age, oh, if I just please the feminine, you know, and placate her needs and play Mr. Nice Guy, you know, fix the tire, cook the food, um, run the errands, get the good job, I'll be loved and accepted. And that really, really wreaks havoc on his sexual confidence. And so what I usually find with the men that that work with me specifically, and this isn't all across the board, it just happens to be the men that, that I speak with, is they have this deep 
imprint of neglect and trauma and wounding of inadequacy. So we really work hard on getting him out of like that codependency trap, playing the savior, you know, getting in that kind of savior victim mind frame and restore him to a sense of inherent worthiness or feeling like he's enough just because he exists. And when I present that to that idea to men, I'm like, Hey, do do you have worth like outside of your work or your achievements? They kind of look at me like I'm crazy. They're like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Like they haven't even Mm -hmm. thought that they're enough outside of doing or achieving or giving or um, problem solving, like all the things that men are actually really good at. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of this identity slash false identity that they can, they can hide behind. Right. Yeah. Client I'm working with right now is having feelings of what is my value if my wife has another love interest and I can't be completely here to meet all her needs, then what is my value? So, mm-hmm. yeah, it can be an ex- existential crisis for men that are that are um, interested in open relationship, too. And I, I do get the situation a lot where men have a tipping point in their life where they've turned 60 or maybe they've just retired or maybe they've just recovered from, like, cancer or something, and mm-hmm. they they say, you know, they come to me and they say, I love my wife, I'll never leave her, but we don't have sex anymore and I don't want to go on the rest of my life without having sex. And they're terrified mm-hmm. to bring it up to their wife that they might want to have another lover because they've been like this good guy the whole time. You know, they've attended to her and they've taken care of the house and they've made the money and they took care of the kids. And now they're like, what about me? <laughs> and so there's this huge right. fear to like, stand up for their own needs now. So how do you begin to address helping men with this identification with being the caregiver and the fixer? Mm. Yeah, I mean, that is such a huge (laughs) rabbit hole question, right? Um, Mm -hmm. But I think it, you know, it does start to, like, my approach is working with the body mind and working with unconscious networks of false identities or conditioning or, you know, this over-identification of the savior and restoring them to an inner sense of wholeness. And so that can look like where does their sense of belonging come from? And Mm -hmm. over time, when we kind of work with feeling stuck emotions and it's, you know, it's usually imprints from early childhood, right? Like we think the wife and the relationship is the issue, but it's usually like, well, what is your family of origin? What's the story there? What was your upbringing like? Where was the root seed planted that you couldn't have your needs met and be loved? And so it's really going Mm -hmm. to that root seed of his personal story of like the first time he was told to shut up for asking what he wanted, right? Or his mom saying, no, you can't have that, or don't be like that. Um, We really have to go to those root seeds. And then as his, you know, as that kind of old conditioning starts to unwind and his personal power grows, he can start to advocate for himself because his sense of inner worthiness or his inner sense of belonging, like he just knows he belongs to himself, or the universe, or he has a place inside of the world, you know, outside of this 
marriage agreement. And as he, you know, kind of up levels his sense of uh, worthiness, he can start to go, oh, I actually have needs and I have boundaries Mm -hmm. and I can say no. And whoa, like this is new. And, you know, it can do one of two things. Their wife might go, I don't like this version of you. I'm going to leave you. Or she might go, oh, I actually respect you more. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it can actually I, flip the polarity and go, oh, this is actually very masculine of him to assert a boundary and a need. And hmm, that's actually kind of sexy and arousing mm-hmm. <laughs> when a man mm-hmm. says no. Right, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I think men really lose a lot of that masculine power when they're just overly pleasing all the time. And um, There needs to be, like you said, some of that polarity. Um, but mm-hmm. to begin that kind of work, it seems like men need, like, emotional safety just as much as women do, yeah? Oh, my gosh, so much so. Um, I think... I think one of the biggest mistakes that we make in society is that we're not aware of just how sensitive men really are. And there's so much dogma out there of like what it means to be a man and both in kind of like our mainstream culture, but also in the spiritualized culture, we have all of this, like what the divine masculine is and the divine, you know, the masculine polarity and he has to hold this like masculine core all the time. And it's like, you know what, on a baseline level, we're all human and we all have basic needs and emotions that we need to feel them and we all have a basic need for love safety and belonging and so if a man doesn't feel safe in a relationship or a sexual dynamic um, or there's a reason he feels like he needs to guard his heart then chances are his cock isn't going to respond or stay hard or get hard so to me, looking at emotional safety in relationship to his sexual arousal is really paramount to restoring a man's sexual confidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like how you just threw that out there. We all need love, safety, and belonging. Yeah. Oh, what a Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like the primary meditation I actually um, teach and give out to my clients is restoring love, safety, and belonging because that's that's yeah. the inner ecosystem that we all need to thrive. And that's kind of what we're all looking for outside of ourselves anyways. We're like, ooh, I'll do this so I can get love and I'll do this so I feel like I belong and I'll do this so I feel like I'm safe. And if we kind of have an inherent internal ecosystem of that, we can start to live our lives from a different place, like a more authentic place. Right, and to recognize that that's what everyone else is looking for too. So when their behavior seems um, egregious or irritating to us, to remember that it's probably just a strategy to get one of those three things, yeah? Oh, my gosh. I'm so glad that you said that. Absolutely. That's such a keen observation. And it's, that's also really beautiful because then we know, like, oh, maybe it's through, you know, this woman's nagging or this 
man's explosive anger, we can like look at them and go, I wonder what need isn't being met mm-hmm. that they don't even know isn't being met because they're not able to communicate mm-hmm. it in that moment. It's kind of like, hmm, do they feel safe? Do they feel like they belong? Do they feel like, you know, they need to be acknowledged or understood? And of course, our needs can expand way broader than love, safety, and belonging, but those are kind of just like our mm-hmm. absolute deep, deep core needs. Right. Yeah. And so it's ironic that a lot of times our reactivity has the opposite effect of what we're trying to get, you know, (laughs) because we're scared, right? So there's that armor because we're afraid to feel the pain from not having that as a child. Is that why we do that? Um, that's, that could definitely be a reason. Um, there are just neuronal pathways that are established from childhood. So if you just had a reactive family, like or defensive, a family that just made you defensive, and that was your mode of being of communicating mm-hmm. for what your first 18 years of your life, 20 years of your life, those are the neuronal pathways that you just go, oh, this, you know, X happens, I do Y and Z, and I flip the switch and I and I yell and it's mm-hmm. it takes time to reestablish those neuronal pathways into personal safety and downregulate the nervous system to fight or flight to you know your social connection mechanism which is the parasympathetic where love safety and belonging live it's like oh you know um not just allowing your nervous system to rule you, but it takes like years of work or like very, you know, minute attention to when you do get triggered to get out of that, that fight or flight Mm -hmm. stance. And there might be a time where the fight or flight stance is totally valid and needed and you need to run away or you need to get away from someone or you need to say, Hey, this isn't okay. And establish a firmer boundary. Um, but I think more often than not, it's probably damaging to your relationship. Yeah, thank you. If you're just joining us, mm-hmm. you're listening to Leading Edge Love Radio, and this is your host, Sumati Sparks, the open relationship coach at sumatisparks.com. We're speaking with Lauren Searles, not, not Pearls, Searles. <laughs> She's the love coach, tantric love and sex coach. And um, I like what, if you if you have any questions for Lauren, you're welcome to call in. The call in number is area code six five seven three eight three one one three two, and you'll be put on hold. You won't interrupt us, and we'll we'll grab your call at the right time. So feel free to call in for the next fifteen to twenty minutes. And again, that number is six five seven three eight three one one three two. Lauren was just talking about the parasympathetic system and the nervous system. And it's so common when we are in relationships, especially when it's a volatile topic like sex, that we get to these states where we're in the fight or flight mode. And so can you talk a little bit about what is the parasympathetic system and what does that mean and how can we acknowledge that and what can we do to to bring our nervous systems back down when we 
are acting out from a triggered place? Yeah. Wow. That's such an amazing question. And I think everyone should learn this in kindergarten. I think it should be a skill that (laughs) we're just taught, hey, this is your body. This is how it works. This is how to breathe into your belly and relax and down-regulate so that we can all get along. You know, like they teach sharing, but they don't teach, like, you know, just how our basic biology works. So basically, um, there's some groundbreaking science in the polyvagal theory, which um, basically says that um, your ventral vagus nerve uh, starts at your brainstem and it goes through most of your major, major organs, like your heart and and lower, and there's communication from your brain to your organs, but also from your organs up to your brain. So there's always like a cross-communication thing going on. And the, the ventral vagus, when it's stimulated, helps down-regulate your nervous system from that fight-or-flight, like kind of losing your mind, uncontrolled anger or it's actually a mobilization response to get away from threat or predators. Um, So it gets you moving. It gets your heart pumping, you know, your blood pressure rises and, you know, your voice might become (laughs) more intense. So to get to the parasympathetic state, we want to stimulate the ventral vagus. And I think the most common practice is taking five deep breaths. Um, sometimes that might not be enough. So I really personally like teaching people the box breath, which is like four, 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 and four. You inhale for four seconds. You hold for four seconds. You exhale for four seconds. And then you hold at the bottom of the breath for four. And me even just doing that slightly while I'm talking is like, oh. Like there's so much tension that releases on the breath hold specifically, um, you know, and there's also a train of thought like, oh, you breathe really shallowly when you're in fight or flight. And so the deeper you can breathe, if you can breathe into the bottom side lungs and actually go, ooh, I'm expanding my lung capacity and holding my breath um, I'm exhaling fully. I'm holding my breath again. There is a down regulation that that happens. And then there might be, you know, when we're in fight or flight or amygdala is triggered, the cortisol, the adrenaline is going, and then we lose cortical control. Like we lose the ability to think or reason. And so once we down regulate, we can go, oh, I actually care about this person and I love them and they love me and I would actually like to work this out. You know, like you can start to not see that person as your enemy and actually go, oh, you know, this social engagement system turns on and you can actually feel empathy through the vagus nerve. So like your vagus nerve is most accessible over your heart. So another thing is, putting your hand over your heart and you are basically touching your vagus nerve and you're stimulating it mm-hmm. and taking a deep breath into your heart. And you're like, Oh, now I can empathize with this person and I can see that they're hurt and hurting or that what I said hurt them. And now like <clears throat> we have the opportunity to go into repair. Whereas that wasn't really previously possible in the fight or flight 
can. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Thank you. I love that, the box breath. That's great. Um, I want to really rock in my... Yeah. Go ahead. I was just saying, it really ro- it's really been helping me out. The box breath has really been yeah. um, helping me kind of downregulate and, and get out of any kind of anxiety or stress response, which can just happen any time of the day for really any reason. So it's nice to... Pause. Yeah, and I've used it before when I'm having trouble sleeping, but I, I didn't have the holding on both sides. It was just the inhaling before and exhaling before. But to add the holding to it is, I was doing it as you were talking about it, and I could really feel the calmness when you let your breath stop for a moment. There's an incredible calmness that happens. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, what I also tell my clients is that they don't have to keep engaging with each other when they're in that fight or flight mode, fight, flight, freeze, um, or appease. There's a fourth one now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Fight, flight, freeze, mm-hmm. or appease, which I relate to because sometimes I can get like overly accommodating and nice because the confrontation is so scary. So there's a lot of different things we can do when we get um, triggered. But what I've been telling my clients is that they can have a time out. They don't have to keep engaging. Even if they're really triggered, even all the breath work in the world is not going to be as helpful as time. So just take some time and go call a friend or get a massage or ride your motorcycle or whatever you need to do. And then when you're back and your nervous system is calm and you're out of that mode, then come back and talk about what happened. And I know sometimes that can really trigger people who have that anxious attachment style, like, well, when are you coming back and how long are you going to be gone? But that's also like go and get some support somewhere else. Your partner's not going to be able to help you with that. You're just pushing them away farther. <laughs> so we need exactly. to be okay with separating sometimes to get support and then coming back together, right? Oh, I totally agree. That actually just happened to me last week. And I was the one going, hey, we should really take some and have a pause and not talk right now and um, she was a friend of mine she got really anxious like she was an anxious attachment style and that became more triggering for her Um, Mm -hmm. and so I think it's just a mark of an adult relationship is that you really value honoring other people's needs and even right. when they don't meet your own, if someone's going, I have mm-hmm. a need to not talk right now and have space, that is like a huge need, a huge boundary. And it needs to be respected. And someone needs to just go, mm-hmm. you know, that is really hard for me right now to accept, but, you know, I want you to meet your, I want you to get your needs met. And it right. is not the responsibility of any human to meet your needs all the time anybody ever. Mm -hmm. So it's just Mm -hmm. a mark of an adult evolution and relationship to go, you know what? I can self-resource. I can learn tools to go back into myself. I can, you know, like you said, have a support system outside of the relationship. Um, That's Mm -hmm. really, really important. Like self-regulation is absolutely paramount. Right. And, you know, when I first asked you, about how you got into this coaching, you were talking about um, your course where you 
started learning some self-love practices and some somatic exercises, and you could feel your power coming back, and you could feel the codependency healing and dissolving. And um, absolutely, it's so important, I think, yeah, for us to, when people, especially when couples come to me and they want to open their relationship, the first thing I do is show them how to unenmesh because they've got to have some differentiation and some sovereignty if they're going to cope with these inevitable feelings that come up. So um, can you talk a little bit, we're talking about men and their sexuality, so can you talk a little bit about how to help men connect with their bodies as they're learning these skills and how to overcome their performance anxiety? Mm, Beautifully put. I love that you help couples unimash and gain their own sovereignty. That's just so, it's such a powerful stance to take. Um, so like how can men start to tune into their bodies? So I really love suggesting breath work laying down. It kind of just like softens everything. And I always encourage my clients to be as comfortable as possible. So I encourage them to lay down, put one hand over their heart, one hand over their belly and just do some deep connective breathing, which is no pause between the inhale and the exhale, unlike the box breath. And you're really just doing some deep breathing and then breathing into sensation or noticing sensation that is tight or constrictive or painful and going, hmm, what is this part of me? And why is it here? And like, what does it need? And is there another part of me that can meet that need inside? So I do a lot of parts work. So people might not understand like what I have two parts or three parts or four parts. And we actually have like (laughs) so many parts inside of us of the deep subconscious. Like we have our inner child and inner teenager. We have sub personalities. We have higher selves. We have archetypes. Like, you know, it can, it can get pretty complex in there, but, Usually we're just looking for a part of you that's like emotionally mature or your inner Mm -hmm. father or your inner mother that's like, oh, I can hold this piece that is sad and bummed and, you know, maybe got made fun of on the playground when he was little, you know, like you're really looking for that part that can be compassionate and empathetic and hold space for yourself and we're all looking for somebody else to hold that for us and to heal our most painful inner wounds, but we don't realize and we're not usually trained that we can hold that for ourselves. And that's actually what your inner child is looking for, for completion. It's for you to show up how you want your partner to show up for you. Mm-hmm. And that is like self regulation to the max that's when you can have self-control over triggers that's when you know a deep thing that might have been wounding before might not be so wounding anymore you might just be like no okay I can take care of myself (laughs) or it doesn't hit you the same way it doesn't have the same like heightened emotional reactivity Mm -hmm. so we're talking about men here and so I think when you tell a man you need to work on self-love, they're going to think it's, it's synonymous with jerking off. So 
right. how do you bring <laughs> like the sacred into that and the holistic teachings that you do where their their cock is connected to heart, mind, and the body's mm-hmm. all one in that sense where they're still feeling the erotic energy, but it's more connected. Yeah, that's such a beautiful question. So, you know, it might be really easily easy for men to just go, oh, I when I'm horny, I touch my cock and I do it like this, and or I, or I look at porn and or when I'm aroused, like, and I see a hot woman, like, I just go after her and we're supposed to have sex and I'm supposed to do it until completion and that's just the way it is. And it's way more integrative to acknowledge all parts of himself and go, oh, I actually have a heart that can be broken and is able to give and receive love on such a profound level. Like, I'm a man's love is just like the most amazing thing to receive ever. Like as a woman, I'm like, Oh my God, men's hearts are just, they're huge and they're immaculate and they're beautiful and they're sensitive. And then they have these, this deep wisdom and knowledge and insight and genius from their brains. And then those parts don't always talk to each other. It's like, well, my brain is up here. My heart's here. My cock's there. And they don't talk. And it's just like, it's just way more holistic to, you know, invite the possibility that the vulnerability of your heart can be connected to the arousal in your cock. And it's like, ooh, what happens when a man opens to that vulnerability? And, you know, for me as a woman, like making love with a man who's connected his heart and his cock, you know, and his mind you're having full-on tantric sex. Like, you're just fully, absolutely connected. You're receiving more and more pleasure than you ever thought possible. Like, you're, you're ascending, essentially. So these are kind mm-hmm. of like bindus in Eastern tantric practice. Um, there's three bindus practice, which is kind of like the, the chakras in the mind and the heart and the, the sacral chakra. Um, mm-hmm. They do have a a huge effect on just becoming a whole complete integrated being and nothing sexier than that to me. (laughs) Yeah. I think you said something on your website about um, that kind of ecstatic union with the divine kind of sexuality. Um, So like how can men learn to be more authentic lovers so that they can not only learn to please themselves, but be that for a woman? Because I think that's their ultimate goal is to, I, I think nothing pleases men more than to turn a woman on. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think for each man, sexual authenticity is, cannot be defined by anyone outside of their bodies, right? So I really, really highly encourage for men to find their own internal compass, but that's mm-hmm. the, the path is healing from social, religious, and familial conditioning. Like we don't realize how conditioned we are because we're just living in this world and this is how it is and this is how we were brought up. And so kind of like it's an unraveling process more than, a becoming process. It's like, ooh, let's take off all the layers and the masks and the identities 
and the frameworks and the beliefs and ideas that aren't actually his authentic true self. And through that unraveling, they actually start to realign with their true masculine essence and then feel empowered from that. They're like, oh, I actually have access to more arousal and more of my sexual power um, and just has more access to all parts of himself and then can, because he has more access to himself and he can feel more parts of himself, he can actually feel more parts of you. Like he can actually take you to greater heights and depths of pleasure because he's coming from that whole and authentic place. Yeah, I wish every man could go to Tantra school because so many men are, um, you know, that you can feel their need. You can feel the neediness and it's that's such a, a turnoff when they come across as needy, but when they come across as full, that's when you want them. And it's kind of a catch-22 for a man. Like he needs sex, but he's not getting it. So then how can he come across as getting it? And I'm hearing you that the way he can come across as getting it is because he's giving it to himself. And that makes him mm-hmm. more alluring to the, to the woman. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a very magnetic quality when a man is just so self-assured and relaxed in his being and he doesn't need anything from the feminine. He's available for it, but he's not vying for it. He's not looking for it. Um, it he becomes so freaking magnetic. Like, I've sensed men like that in the room, and I will literally just go walk up to him and, like, sit on his lap or hug him or just go, hi, who are you? Like, I'll just start a conversation with him because I'm just right. so drawn to that type of energy. Yeah. And like, so likewise, can, can like you, a man in a relationship as well. Like if my lover is being super ultra needy and like, why are you doing this and this and this for me? It's like, um, the neediness is a little repulsive, you know, if mm-hmm. it's done in the wrong way. I'm not saying all emotional needs are, but you know, if it's, if it's a consistent repetitive, like, why aren't you meeting this need? It can be a little repulsive. But whereas mm-hmm. if a man is, like, centered and resourced and let's say he just got out of a meditation or a yoga session, you're like, ooh, what's he got? Like, mm-hmm. that's, that's mm-hmm. hot and sexy. <laughs> yeah, you got to have that polarity. you got to have that room to come to him. If he's coming at you, there's no room for me to come toward him. I'm just... Mm-hmm. I'm back on my heels, you know, protecting myself from that energy, and I can really feel it. It's almost feeling like his energy is leaning into me, as opposed to him being contained in his energy. And there's room for me to do the tantric dance around him and and flirt because we want, you know, feminine women. We want space to be able to allure them and attract them and and be in our beauty and draw them to us. And if there's no room to do that. We kind of like it pops our bubble, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it kind of shuts our our shakti down. It, it shuts down our sexual energy if we're feeling like we're being grasped towards, mm-hmm. like we're not open to sharing more deeply there. Yeah. So, how do you see like what what are women actually craving? You know, from sex and and beyond sex, 
when are women actually walking? Mm. I think most women that I know, and myself included, we're really craving men who are deeply dropped into their hearts, a sense of love, their capacity to feel um, emotion, sensation, um, intuition in an embodied way. Like we're really craving a developed sense of presence that is connected to their body. So like men can develop, you know, meditative presence and kind of like austere presence or presence with their job, but that's completely different than having somatic intelligence or embodied presence where they're actually tapped in, tuned into their body, um, tuned into their, their needs. And it's kind of like a dance. It's kind of like, ooh, is he a good dancer? Or, you know, is he kind of like relaxed in his being? And when, when a man is like fully tuned in and tapped into his sensational awareness, he's really able to fully meet his lover in that too. Like it awakens our sensational awareness and then the love dance becomes just more full and expressed. But even if it's not lovemaking, it's like, oh, he's really, really tuned in to me. He's really looking me in the eye. He's really like taking me in and I feel really seen and heard and safe with him. Mm-hmm. And a man can do this even if he's non-monogamous, yes? Oh, gosh. I think you need to be have this skill even more developed if you're non-monogamous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, if you want to be more with more than one woman and you've got all this juice to share, right? Like, your cup is overflowing, right? Like, your, your mm-hmm. first lover is she's completely met, she's completely satiated. That means you've developed this skill and you have more to give to more people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd say if this skill is still a struggle for you, then, you know, try to hone it in with your, your primary lover and really, really satiate her and fulfill her in these ways and, like, make her feel special. Like, my primary need is to feel special and unique. And I want to feel, even if we're sharing, I want to feel like you really, really deeply care about me. Mm-hmm. Right, and you're not going to be able to do that if your energy is spread out all over the place, and you're not being present with me, and you know you're not giving me the, the proper attention. Then I'm not really going to be interested in continuing that dynamic necessarily. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, mm. What was I going to say? Uh, oh, so what? Um, can women do to um, to be more supportive of men as they learn to overcome their anxieties and sensitivities around sexual performance? How can we be more supportive of them? Mm, yeah, that's such a delicate um, topic. Is like I think the man's maybe biggest source of shame is losing his erection or not being able to get hard or not being able to perform. So just knowing like, whoa, this is really can be emotionally devastating for a man in the first place. So I think we could be more supportive 
of men who are struggling with performance anxiety by, first of all, just completely normalizing and celebrating a soft cock because we only like sexually fantasize and covet a hard cock or a fully erect cock, or we only want sex when he's fully hard. And it's like, well, this is just part of the arousal cycle. Um, So I think just accepting him however he is, but also just really, really being patient if he does lose an erection and not take it personally. Um, So not criticizing him, not further emasculating him, not going, oh, don't you care? Aren't you attracted to me? And it actually doesn't actually have anything to do with you. Like he's not Mm-hmm. connecting with his body he's not in the present moment he has unresolved trauma and wounding he has stress like he there could be so many things going on in inside of him so I think it's really not to take it personally and really like again just holding space for him being empathetic being sensitive um ask him what he needs maybe it's a pause or a moment maybe he wants to be seduced maybe he wants to stop entirely and then just like not making him wrong for mm-hmm. needing to stop the experience or take a pause. Um, I think that would greatly, greatly change a man's, um, you know, self-shaming response. Because if he loses his erection, he's definitely going to go into self-shaming and shut down around yeah. that. It's, it's funny, isn't it, how men, you know, when they're, you know, first reaching puberty, they have wet dreams, they have no control over it. They wake up in the morning and there's all this, wetness and then they go to school Uh and they get you know they think the teacher's hot and they've got this erection under their desk and then then they they go out into their 20s and they have their first opportunity to have a threesome with two people they're attracted to and they can't get an erection because it's just too much pressure and like they spend their whole life having no control over their erection and yet they think they're supposed to be able to control it Right, and then and women right. too make up a story that we um, there's something wrong with me if he's not hard, and then we make it about us. Like it must be that I am, you know, not hot enough or whatever. And really, the cock has a mind of its own through the whole lifetime of yeah. the man. And I work with older men, and older men start to lose their um, hardness and the length of time they can stay hard, and. Um, mm-hmm. you know, they feel a lot of grief around that. And there's, you know, a whole nother realm of sexuality that you can have without an erect penis. And sometimes I'm actually mm-hmm. happy if a man comes too quickly, because then I'm like, oh, good. Now we can actually get to work with some real intimate sex. that's not so cock oriented. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a whole slow sex movement. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with Diana Richardson's work. She teaches, the whole modality around soft cock sex and she has sex. She's like, Oh yeah, I got out this three days sexual extravaganza. I had sex for 72 hours straight. Like she'll literally be like, yeah, I had sex for three days. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so, you know, I haven't had sex for three days straight, but it's kind of like admirable <laughs> uh, that it's possible. And that's possible through, soft cock sex, like not having a fully erect cock. And there's a whole other range of exploration to to have there. That is awesome. Well, look at that. We're out of time. So I want to give you some, some time to tell our listeners how they can reach you and find out more about your offerings. I've just really loved having you on the show, and I've 
enjoyed this conversation so much, and I hope that that men and women both and non-binary get something from from this talk. It was just very informative to me. So thank you for being here, and please let us know um, how we can find out more about you. Yeah, absolutely. So you can go to my website, loveangelcoaching.com, and that's L-O-V-E-A-N-G-E-L, coaching.com. And I'm giving away three free passion breakthrough sessions to your listeners. So the first three that sign up, you can have 75 whole minutes with me, and we go really, really deep on just a core issue that's getting in the way, um, what's challenging you, and just kind of like mapping out what's going to, you know, provide the biggest passion breakthrough for you. And you can sign up on my website, loveangelcoaching.com, and you go to the book me section, and there's a little calendar link, so they can sign up there. And yeah, I would just be absolutely elated to to speak with them and, and go deeper. Fabulous! Thank you so much. That's very generous of you. And is there a place where they can stay that they learn about it from the show, or does that happen when when they email you? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So on the sign-up form, um, they can tell me where they, they heard about me. So, yeah, they can certainly type that in when they, when they schedule the call. Okay, perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here, Lauren. Yeah. And um, you're really quite a blessing to the world. So keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to be on the show. And you just really are just, with me the entire time and ask such inquisitive questions and amazing deep reflections. So I know that you get your clients amazing results as well. Mm, Thank you. Okay. Aloha. All right. Aloha. (laughs) Have a great night. So thank you for joining us. And next week we will have Steve, Yang. He is a relationship coach based in the Bay Area of California, and he works with um, ethically non-monogamous people as well as monogamous people, and he is just a charmer. You've really got to come and meet Steve Yang. So join us next week at 6 p.m. Pacific time on Leading Edge Love Radio. Good night, everyone. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.